Well, we are going to continue in our series in the book of Colossians. And uh, this letter, this was a letter written, written by Paul, and it was a response of what he heard from this guy Epaphras. Epaphras um, was with Paul in the city of Ephesus, which is on the west coast of modern-day Turkey, then Asia Minor, and he was on the west coast there, and he, for a couple of years, he was doing some preaching and teaching and discipling, and Epaphras was one of his, the guys that he um, trained in the gospel, and Epaphras was all excited about it, and he wanted to go, hey, I'm going to go back to my hometown in Colossae, and I'm going I'm to share the gospel. He shared the gospel, the church gets started, and then uh, Epaphras says, hey, this is what's happened in the church. This is what's happening in the city, and so he tells them all about What's happening? So this is this is Paul's response uh, to what he's heard. This is a letter to that church. He couldn't be there in person, and so he starts off. He gives an introduction, and then he begins to thank God. He begins to thank God uh, for the faith that they had in Christ Jesus, as well as the love for all the saints. And this was all due. This was all produced by Paul. Said the hope that they had in heaven. And this is an amazing reality is that when you, as you, as you, put, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you become a Christian, you, we have this amazing hope in heaven that our hope transfers from the things of this world, things that are transient, things that are here today, gone tomorrow, and, and there's a transfer. Our hope goes into heaven, which, which is a complete and total stress reliever. I know that uh, for me, this was a big, big thing in my life because uh, before I came in, uh, into a relationship with Jesus, I was anxious for stuff. I was anxious to make something of myself in a career. I was anxious to make money. I was anxious to experience things. I just felt like I had to squeeze as much as I possibly could in this 80, 90-year window that we have. But when, we, when you become to realize that, hey, we have heaven, that we have uh, all of eternity to do these things, that that I no longer felt like I had to accomplish things here on earth because in heaven there's going to be work, there's going to be godly work um, that, it, that, w- that God will put in front of us that we'll be able to accomplish things for the rest of eternity. Well, I, won't, I don't feel like this anxiousness to like, travel and see the world because in heaven there's going to be great exploration and there's just going to be mighty, mighty, amazing, amazing things to see in heaven, and I don't, you don't feel like I have to really, you know, get my golf handicap down because there'll be golf in heaven, except there won't be any slicing. It'd just be like perfect down there. It'd be amazing, and so I don't feel this anxiousness to go after it. Yet, yeah, in this life, I may have hobbies. I, you know, I may have be able to accomplish some things, and I, you know, may make a few bucks, and I may have some nice things. But I don't feel this need that I have to, re- you know, like squeeze it in there. That I, I can, I, I don't have to uh, live in this prison cell really of trying to please myself. And trying to squeeze everything, because I have all of heaven to do that. Uh, um, Heaven's laid out for me. That all the things that we want to experience, we'll get to experience. You're not going to have to miss out. If you're in Christ, it's an amazing thing. Just like, oh, there's things that I want to do. I've got this bucket list. I've got these things I want to do. Man, you'll get to do them. When? Well, you have all of eternity to do them. And that frees me in this life. Uh, to love other people. I don't feel like I have to live for myself. I can love other people. And, and I don't feel like I, I feel like I can, I can have greater um, activist faith in Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul's saying. He says well, the, that, the, that when your hope gets into heaven, when it gets transferred into heaven, man, everything is yours. You, you have all of the eternity. And so now you're free to love other people. Now you're free uh, to serve Jesus. And it's this amazing, amazing thing. And I just want to say to some of you that you're not crazy. Because you have, you have turned down jobs to make a bigger kingdom impact. You have limited lifestyle 
to have a kingdom impact. And your friends and your family, you think you're crazy, but you're not crazy. Man, you're living for what is eternal. You're living for heaven. And that is, a, that is, that is, the, that is the opposite of crazy. Jesus, and I know it because Jesus says kind of these things that are kind of upside down, which is the first shall be last and last shall be first. That the greatest are those who serve. The greatest are those who make themselves the least. So I just want to say to you guys that are just really going for it and just like, man, I just want to give, make um, the most of this life for the kingdom because I know that he- I've got heaven to enjoy for the rest of eternity. And you're well done and keep going. You're not crazy. It's amazing what you're doing. And so Paul says that this truth of heaven, he goes down and he says um, in verse uh, 5 and 6, he says uh, that this is all a part, the word of the truth, the gospel. And the gospel, he says a couple different things here about the gospel. He says, one, what it is. Secondly, what it does in our life. And thirdly, how it moves, how it transfers, how it grows, how it expands. The first thing is he explains what the gospel is. The gospel is... Um, all of what Jesus has, Christ has done to save us, that God created the world and he wanted a relationship. Instead of relationship, he got rebellion. He, 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 got, he got us who said, we don't believe you, we don't trust you, we think you're holding out on us, and so we're going to, we're going to seek life in a different way. And so we, we gave him rebellion, and that sin entered the human equation. It caused everything to mess up, caused lights to go out in the middle of a preach. I mean, just all kinds of wackiness because of sin, made everything go distorted. And it causes separation between us and God, but also with each other. That's why people aren't nice. That's why there's politics everywhere. That's why there's greed and slander and divisive. It's just, it's all this stuff is because uh, of, of sin. And the gospel is that Jesus makes things right. And he doesn't make things right by giving us a, a list of rules to follow. Like here's some breadcrumbs for you to kind of like make your way. He doesn't do that, but he he, he, doesn't, he doesn't give us this new life through rules. He gives us a new life through relationship, specifically relationship with him. And so to do that, he revealed himself to us. He revealed himself through the person of Jesus. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said that we don't relate to God as people on the first floor uh, of a building relate to people on the second floor. We relate to him the way Hamlet relates to Shakespeare. We characters might be able to know quite a lot about the playwright, but only to the degree that the author chooses to put information about himself in the play. God, the great playwright, didn't just hand down some information, but he handed down himself. He wrote himself into the play. And there's this um, writer that C.S. Lewis talks about. It's the first um, woman to attend Oxford, and she wrote these uh, detective novels. Her name was Dorothy Sayers. And she had this one uh, story um, about this lonely aristocrat named Lord Peter Wimsley. And he was lonely in there. And she began to, like, as she began to develop this character, she begins to fall in love with him. And so she writes in this character who was the first to graduate Oxford named Harriet. And in this story, Harriet falls in love with this aristocrat and they live, you know, happily ever after. So she writes herself in the story to save him. And that's kind of what God does, but on a much grander scale, is that he wrote himself into human history. He, God, who is other, who, who is eternal, entered a time-space world. God, who was uh, he's divine, he made himself human. He took on human form to reveal himself to us so that we could know him. So now we know what God is like because of Jesus. 
We know what makes God happy because of Jesus. We know what makes God angry because of Jesus. We know what God is like because Jesus, he came into the world. He made his dwelling among man. It's what's known as the incarnation. It's that God became flesh. God took on flesh. And he revealed himself, not by sending us a fax or an email or whatever, but he came and he, he came in the bodily form of Jesus. So he's revealed himself into this relationship. And the other thing he's done is that he has forgiven us, that he didn't just come to reveal himself, but he came to die in our place. We have all have sinned, and the, pen, the penalty for sin, the wage for sin is death. Sin leads to death. It leads to a death of a relationship. So if you lie, for example, that will kill that relationship. Sin just has a natural way of leading to death, death of relationships, death of business, death of all things. And it leads to physical death and spiritual death. And the penalty is death. Now, Jesus, though, he comes to this earth, he reveals himself, and he lives a perfect life. Well, but he goes to the cross and he dies. Well, why, why Jesus, who, who is completely innocent, who is completely uh, without sin, he was perfect in every way, why did he die? And why we, who are sinful, why do we have the hope of heaven? Why, why can we, although we die, escape death? It's because he died in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin became our sin so that we could have the righteousness of God. That God, that God the Son, Jesus, that his life, that he deserved blessing, he deserved honor and glory, and we deserve death and, 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 and condemnation. But Jesus took on the condemnation. He took on our death, and we get blessing, and we get honor, and we get his, his righteousness. And it happens because he forgives us. And forgiveness is not this thing where we kind of just sweep things under the rug. Those of you who have ever forgiven anyone before knows that when you forgive someone, it costs you. Forgiveness isn't that nobody pays. Forgiveness is that somebody pays. If someone slanders you, if someone harms your reputation, you can pay or you can make them pay. Forgiving them, you pay, you, you pay the penalty. Someone comes to your house and breaks something and destroys it, you can make them replace it or you replace it. You can forgive them or you can make them pay. And Jesus on the cross, that's God saying, I will pay. I forgive you and I will pay the price. So he took away our sin. And he, so he offers relationship. He offers reconciliation. And he offer, offers restoration. God's ultimate desire is to restore things back to the way he originally designed them to be. He wants restored relationship with you. He wants us to have restored relationship. He wants us to come together in a unified way. And he wants the world to be restored. He wants to rid it of its futility. He wants to rid it of its death and its decay and disease. Because our home is not in this world. Our home is in heaven. Our hearts know that. Our hearts long for this. Our hearts know that we are out of place in this world. That's why we're always searching. It's why we always feel like we can never quite get to where we want to be. It's why you think, like, if I make and make this level of income, then my life will be what it needs to be. And then you make that level of income, and then, bam, the bar goes up. It's why if you get, as you say to yourself, if I can just have this relationship, then everything will be as it needs to be. And then you get that relationship, and it's not what you thought it would be. You, get, you make a place in your career. It's just never enough. We have this unsatiable desire to fill this need that we have for eternity. It's like our hearts remember what Eden is like. And it does. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes is that God has put eternity in our hearts. He's put this thing inside of us that longs for life to be the way that God had originally intended. And here's the good news. He's restoring all that. 
God is, God is uh, drawing us into relationship. He's forgiving us of our sins. He's reconciling us, and he is restoring us. He is restoring us day by day from the inside. He's going to restore our bodies completely one day, and he's restoring the world that we now live in, but it's going to be a perfect world. It's what heaven is going to be like, and this is the gospel. And then Paul says it's this gospel that is bearing fruit in all of the world. All over the world. He says, all over the world, this is bearing fruit. You see, the gospel isn't just meant to be for one demographic in one part of the world. You know, it's funny that people call Christianity a Western religion when, ironically, it had its roots in the East. It came first to the Jews, the Bible says, and then to the Gentiles. It made its way into Ethiopia. Uh, It made its way into Europe and then to the Americas. And now it's exploding in places like Russia and Africa and India and China the gospel is expanding all over the world as we speak. I've got, it's amazing privilege. I've got friends in different parts of the world that are seeing just amazing gospel advance, that are seeing people come to Jesus in miraculous ways because the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. And then he says that's bearing fruit among you. It's bearing fruit all, along, it's all over the world and it's bearing fruit in you. It's bearing fruit in this church. In the past six years alone, we've seen this church quadruple. It's gone from about 150 in one location to 600 in a few different locations with other services. It's bearing fruit. Many people have been saved. Most of those people who've been added have been saved into this church, have had their lives completely transformed. Many people here would say their story is, you know, I, you know who walked through these doors that, you know, I was dead in my sin. I was spiritually dead, and God made me alive. I was lost and alone, and God gave me a family. I was hurt and broken, and God healed me. And it's just amazing to see what God's, God is at work in this church. His gospel is being effective. It's bearing fruit all over the world, and it's bearing fruit here, right in this church. And God, and the gospel is bearing fruit in you. God is at work in your life. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you are a believer in Jesus, God is at work in your heart. He's changing you. He's regenerating you. He's making you new. He's giving you new desires. He's giving you new ways to serve. In fact, that's what it says in Philippians 2, 12. Uh, It says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. Man, if you are a Christian, God is working in you. He's working in you. Both the will, I just don't feel like following Jesus. Hey, he's going to give you the desire. Just feel kind of eh today. Well, he's going to work in the will, and he's going to work in the work. He's going to give you a way. He's going to give the ability to serve him. Some of you feel like, well, I don't know if God's working in my life. He is working in your life. I see him working in other people's life, but is he really working in mine? Yes, he really is working in your life. He's working things in, and then then that verse says that you need to work these things out. You need to work out your salvation. It doesn't mean that we have to be afraid of our salvation. It's not saying that, but it's saying the things that God works in that we're meant to work out. That when God works in grace and love and mercy in your life, you're meant to work out grace and love and mercy in your life and to others. He works in patience, you work out patience. He works in justice, you work, work out justice. He, he's working things, he's sowing things, he's making things, he's de- creating new desires, and now you're meant to work, in those, work out those desires. He's working it in, you're working it out. It's kind of like, like two pedals on a bicycle. You know, it's like God pedals one, he's working it in, and then you're meant to work it out. And many of you are like riding on like a one 
pedal bicycle. It's like it's not going to get very momentum. God's, God's working something in, and you work it out, and then he works more stuff in. It's like, I wish God would say something to me. Yeah, he said something to you 10 years ago. He's waiting for you to do it. God sowed something into your heart. He gave you someone to pray for. Now he's waiting for you to work that out. And what happens in your life is when as God worked things in and you work it out, man, you get momentum. And things start to go, things start to go, things start to go, things start to go. The gospel is bearing fruit in your life. Don't think that it doesn't. It is. Maybe you need to work that out. It's amazing that God... And it says here, since the day... This verse says that since the day that you first heard. There was a day. There was a moment. It could have been a day, it could have been a week, could have been a month, could have been a period of your life. But we, if you're a believer, you can always look back and say, there was a time when I was this way, and now I'm this way. I was on this path, and it was death, destruction, it was heartbreak, it was pain, it was suffering, and God interrupted my life, and now I'm new, now I'm different, now I'm on a different trajectory. There's a day, there's a moment, there's a week, there's a season. Wouldn't freak out if you don't know the, the minute and the second, like you got a little plaque or whatever in your house. That, you know, if you have that, great. The main thing is you know that it happened, right? I heard of a, it said this way, that it's kind of like if you're driving a train from Missouri to Kansas and you fall asleep while the, play, while the, while the train's in Missouri and then you wake up and you're in Kansas and you're like, people are like, well, when did you cross over into Kansas? You're like, I don't know, but you know that you're in Kansas. That's the important part. You know that something's happened in your life, but there is something that happens in your life. So my question for you is, do you know that? Do you know that God's done something in your life? Yeah, I was, over, I was like this. I was this way, but now I'm this way. If that hasn't happened for you, it's great news because it can happen for you today. God invites the world into a relationship with him. He invites the world to receive his forgiveness. He invites the world to have this process of restoration begin in your heart, in your life, in your world today. That's what the gospel is. It's bearing fruit all over the world. It's bearing fruit in you since today. And, he, and so the, here's the best part, though. So that's the gospel, what the gospel is, and that's what it does. But here's how it moves, and this is what I think is amazing. Because it is amazing that God saves people. But as you begin to know God, you kind of get to know him as a loving God. And you kind of expect him to, to do that. But what, what is still confusing to me is that he uses people for his message to go. Like, why does he use people? He just does. I mean, we're, we're, we're not dependable, we're fragile, we have egos, we're insecure, we're selfish, we're, we're just like, why does he use us? But he uses us. The way that the gospel moves is the gospel moves from person to person. We see this in this letter. It came from Paul, it went from Epaphras, and then it went to the church in Colossae. It says here, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved Servant. This is how the gospel moves. The gospel moves from person to person. The Bible calls Christian Christ followers witnesses. It's one of your identities as a believer. If you are a Christian here today, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, part of your identity is a witness. This is what you are. It's not even so much what you do, it's what you are. That you are witnesses. A witness in a and a trial is someone who testifies of the facts, of what, what, what really is reality. This is what really happened. And we are those who have tasted of the age to come. We are those who have experienced this relationship with God. It's a bold statement we make, I know. But it's what God has done. 
And we, we give witness to the peace of God. We give witness to the joy of God. We give witness to the fact that he has made us new. He's made us complete. We give witness to that. And that's what Jesus said. You are to be my witnesses in this world. That you're to take the gospel. It's come to you. Now it goes to someone else. Another core kind of identity that the Bible uses, Bible word, kind of word picture, Paul uses in another letter to his second letter to the Corinthians. Is this of ambassador? An ambassador, uh, according to Wikipedia, is a high-ranking official. In fact, the highest-ranking official that, that, that is a representative of, of a country to a foreign country. And we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors of heaven. We are ambassadors of this new age, of, of this world to come, that we represent. So we're citizens of heaven, but we're citizens of earth. So we're, 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 we don't live in heaven, just like an ambassador to the United States and to China, they live in China. They don't live in the United States, but they're, they're from the United States and they represent the United States in China. We are citizens of heaven. That's our home. That's, our, that's, our birth, that's where we belong. But we are, we are not in heaven. We are here on earth, called to be ambassadors. It's an amazing privilege. It says that those who have been reconciled unto God, have been given the ministry of reconciling others to God. And that's why it says that we implore others, hey, be reconciled to God. And it moves from friend to friend. You see this all throughout the New Testament. So, for example, in John 4, there's this story of this Samaritan woman at this well. And Jesus explains to her, hey, you know, if you, if you were asked me for living water, I would give it to you. You'd never thirst again. And she's like, well, give me this water. And so they, he explains uh, to her who he is, and she's in. And then it says this in John 4, uh, verse 39. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She was a witness. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done for me. And she was a witness. And through her testimony, a bunch of people got saved. A bunch of people became into a part of the kingdom. The gospel transferred from her to others. Same thing happened with guys like Matthew. God called disciples to himself. Matthew was a tax collector. He becomes a Christian. The first thing he does is he invites all of his friends to meet Jesus. Happened to Philip. Philip... Uh, got invited by Jesus to follow him. He says, hey, can I go get my friend Nathaniel? It moves from person to person. Lydia, if you begin to open up the book of Acts, Lydia was a part of the church plant in Philippi. You can read about her in Acts 16. She's kind of this kind of well-to-do suburban housewife, business superwoman, and she gets impacted by the gospel. And this is what it says about her in Acts 16, 15. It says, after she was baptized and her household as well. Why? Because we're witnesses. That's what we do. That's who we are as believers. Is once the gospel impacts our life, we tell other people. Same thing happened to the Roman jailer, who was also a part of that church plant in Philippi, except he wasn't from the, he was kind of more of a South City blue collar kind of guy, you know, watched blues hockey and washers. And, and he was, he, he came into the kingdom and he was the guy who was going to, um, he was in charge of Paul and Silas, and an angel comes into the prison, breaks him out of prison, and this uh, Roman guard was getting ready to kill himself, and, and they're like, time out, don't do that, no one's leaving. And so this Roman jailer falls to his knees and says, what must I do to be saved? And so he comes to know Jesus, and this is what it says about him in Acts 16. It says, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. 
just again, he gets impacted by the gospel. The natural progression is that he's a witness to all of his friends and all of his family. And this, you pick this up. This is something not just uh, these guys did, but this is what the entire church did in the, uh, in the book of Acts. Acts 1.8. It says this. It says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were, what's that word? They were all scattered. They were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and just Samaria, except the apostles. Now, that word all in the, in the except the apostles is going to be very important because look at Acts 8.4. Those who were scattered. Who was scattered? All of them were scattered, except two, the leaders. But who's preaching the gospel? They were. All of them, all of the believers were preaching the gospel. This is like, this is what the church, so that's why at Jubilee, we loathe the idea of having like a missions department or an evangelism department, right? If you would have asked the early church, hey, tell me about your missions department, they would have looked at you with a blank stare. This is, what do you mean a mission? What are you talking about? Well, don't you have like a little section of the budget and like a section of the church that goes out and tells people, but don't you have that? Yeah, it's called the entire church. It's the whole thing. This is what we all do. That word preaching, too, aren't guys that run around on a face mic either. That word preaching just meant is our word evangelize, which simply means to tell the good news. They were all telling the good news. Why? Because that's what Christians do. They get impacted by the gospel, and it goes from person to person, friend to friend, family to family. So this is something that they all did. Now, I realize when we start talking about, because of some history, some recent history in the church, we all get a little nervous when we start talking about evangelism, you just get like, it's something that we just kind of like, it's something, you know, we don't want to do. And, um, you know, there's something that Christians and the devil have in common. You know that, right? So we all hate evangelism. And um, we, it's true. You wouldn't be laughing. It's kind of nervous laughter. But it's just like, it's just like, <laughs> see, there you go. And so it's okay to laugh. And so it's because it's just with all these emotions and things conjure up when we think about evangelism. So it's like door to door, right? So, so you, you, you knock on someone's door and you're like, hello. And you, if, if you were to die today, it's kind, of, it's kind of a threatening thing, right? It's like you're, on, you're a stranger on someone's porch. You know, if I were to kill you, you know, would you go to heaven? Or, it's, so we have this mindset that that's what it's like. Or we, we get a bullhorn and we get some tracks and we just get made fun of for hours and, you know, but that's what evangelism is. Or it's something that someone else does. So Billy Graham like, opens up a big stadium with thousands of people. That's what evangelism is. It's a stadium. It's a rally. It's door-to-door. It's on the corner. It's the few, the proud. But it's not, it's not normal. Now, there was a time in Jerusalem where it kind of worked that way, where it was just kind of this pumping thing. But then persecution hit. And then people were scattered. There was a day when rallies worked. There was a day when door-to-door worked because people had a kind of an innate sense. There was, a, there was a, you know, the Judeo-Christian ethic was out there. So that you need a little reminder. It's not that way anymore. There's, there's persecution, in a sense you could say, hitting the church. And there's a sense where, man, if we're going to carry this thing forward, there, 
which, which, let's preach, let's do rallies, let's do evangelistic endeavors and all for that. But it must not replace, it must supplement what Christianity really is about, which is a grassroots movement where it goes from friend to friend, from person to person. This is how the church in Colossae got started. One friend told another friend, and one friend told a bunch of friends, and those friends told a bunch of other friends, and there was a church. It moves from friend to friend. If you've been a Christian for a while, there's a drift that happens in your heart. And there's a drift that actually happens in your relationships, which is kind of natural. Your, your relationships tend to become all Christian friends. And that makes sense because, you know, we have, you know, same values and we're going for the same thing. And, but, man, we have to, we have to ignite our hearts again that Jesus saved our soul. And then there are people that we care about that we want to hear this message. You see, at its core, evangelism isn't a program. Evangelism isn't being able to regurgitate facts. Evangelism is telling people of an event, the good news event, that someone has stood in the gap for them. They have lived the life that they know they should live. We all, we may put on a front, but I think at the end of the day, people go to bed at night and they feel the guilt. They know they don't live the life they should live, but Jesus did before them. And he paid the price. This is good news. Anyone that you genuinely care about, that you want their forever, you know their forever is, etern- is eternal death, and they can have their forever switched over to eternal life. I mean, that is, for those, for, so this is about friend making and then loving those friends the best way we ha- know how. And, the, and if you're a believer in Jesus, the best way that you could love someone is to tell them about the grace and mercy of Jesus. And that's how the good news spreads. So let me just give you a couple tips as we kind of close and how this works. First of all, you need to create margin in your life where you have two or three people in your life that you're in prayerful contact with. These may be people that are that you uh, that you're your neighbors or your coworkers, people you go to the gym with. Just people that just friends, just you're making friends, you're making friends, and then you're being very concerned by them. And so that, that's the second thing, is you're praying for them. You're praying for them. Prayer is a language of desire. Prayer is a language. So prayer is someone you love is really sick, and you feel helpless, and so you pray, God, make them well. You know, you're really anxious about a job interview. God, give me this job. You know, God, bless this food. I want it to be nourishing. God, keep me safe on this trip. This is what I want. Now, those prayers are, are fine. God said we should pray for our daily needs, but man, are you praying for, are you praying like really heavenly serious prayers, which is, so I met this guy, Billy, at my gym a couple weeks ago, and just like, I'm just starting to pray for him. God, save Billy. He needs to hear about your grace and your mercy. Give me an opportunity. Open a door. Help me not to help me do it in a in a friendly, good way. Because he's becoming, he's more and more becoming my friend. I'm more and more caring about him. So my desire for him 
is that he meets Jesus because meeting Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I want him to know about it. And I want anyone I know and care about to know about it. So you can invite them. Or sorry, you can, you can, uh, you can pray for them. And, this, and the third thing, you can invite them here. You can invite them here. You know what the number one reason why people don't go to churches? The number one reason. Because nobody invites them. <laughs> the number one reason why people don't come to a service, because no one invites them. There's this guy named uh, Tom Renier who did a, a statistical study of those who are unchurched. It's called The Unchurched Next Door. And in that book, he says that 82% of the unchurched said they were at least somewhat likely to attend church if somebody would invite them. Those are pretty good odds. Those are fantastic odds, 82%. Now, if you're a new Christian, you have like some opportunities that those of us who have been Christian a while uh, that don't have, which is just kind of like, hey, this is something new that's happened in my life. Something new that's happened in my life. I ran into an old friend. He Actually, he kind of tracked me down on, on Facebook. I had a birthday, and he kind of said, hey, old friend, happy birthday. I haven't seen him since high school. And we kind of messaged back and forth a little bit. He's like, what are you up to? And I'm like, well, hey, I'm actually a pastor. He's like, no way. And he's like, I, you know, do you wear a collar and a robe? And I was like, I wish. I mean, I'd love to wear a robe here on Sunday. It'd be amazing. And, um, and um, we were talking a little bit. He's like, what's it like? And I just said, hey, you know, come see. Just come check it out. He's like, yeah, I'll do that. Why do you want to do that? Well, because he's my friend. He wants to know what's happening in your life. You've got friends. They want to know what's happening in your life. Just be bold with that. Maybe you're getting baptized. Just bring it in. Here's some special situations. This is for all of us. Here, here are top five, here are top five um, moments, events, opportunities where people are more open to matters of faith. Do we have this on the screen? When people are more receptive to the gospel. Number five, this is a countdown, birth of a baby. When people have a baby, they are 28% more likely, more open, more receptive to the gospel. After a natural disaster, flood, similarly, after a major national crisis like 9-11, number two, Easter, 38% more, more open more receptive to matters of faith, more receptive to invitations. Number one, Christmas. Six weeks-ish. I don't know what day it is, actually, but we're going to have Christmas. It's coming. Did you get your present? Are you ready for it? People are 47% more likely, more receptive, more open. So if you're like, you're tracking with this, like, yeah, I want to be someone who, who the gospel flows through. I don't want to be a cul-de-sac of God's love and grace and mercy. I want to be like a highway and have it flow through me, not just terminate on me. I want it to, you know, how do I do that? When can I do that? It's hard. Well, hey, Christmas is coming up. They are 47% more likely to attend. So we do, you know, we'll have our Christmas service on December 22nd in all of our locations. And in the Lake of the Ozarks, Washington, St. Louis, greater, there's like three point, there's like three million people, let's say, Roughly. Only 25% only 25% of them claim to have any kind of faith in the God of the Bible. Which that it may even be a stretch. We'll just go with it. 25%. There are more than 2 million people who do not attend 
a church. 47% of them, nearly a million people, nearly a million people who on one day would say, no, I don't think so, will now say yes. A million people. That's a lot of, that's a big opportunity. I mean, we have opportunities every day, we have opportunities every week, but man, that's a big opportunity. I have no idea what your plans are this Christmas, but if you are a Christ follower that loves the gospel and wants the gospel to expand as much as it possibly can, I'm telling you, we've got a big opportunity coming up in five or six weeks. I would encourage you to take advantage of it, as well as the other one. Um, just notice that. These are just things out there that might be helpful. And I think the, the thing about this is that, about doing evangelism and living this way, is that you don't have to like, it. the good thing about seeing it as a whole life thing and, and everybody thing, it's not something like you add to your life. So you've got a busy hour at work week, you already work 60 hours and your activities and you know your kids' stuff and soccer and basketball and karate or whatever it is and you... It's like, here's another thing to add to your week. It's not like that at all. All you have to do is think about your life differently. So when you go to the gym, it's just about being aware. When you eat your meals, most people eat three a day, seven days a week, 21 opportunities to be a friend and to share your life with someone. Create margin in your life. It's not about, you don't have to do anything differently. Just Include other people in your life. Include those who don't believe in Jesus. Include those who are not a part of a church into your life. Why? Because this is some scheme? No, you're just being a friend. That's what friends do. You're being a friendly person. You're making friends. And then you are doing what friends do, which you are expressing love, care, and genuine concern for them in a gracious way. And that we're talking about forever. We're not talking, I mean, you, you, you'll, you'll gab up a movie that you saw last week. We'll do that. Man, this is about, this is something that's going to make an impact. This isn't about a couple hours of entertainment. This is huge. And God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. He has made us witnesses. He's made us ambassadors. It is an amazing, mind-boggling thing, what he's done. There are many more tips and stuff that I could say, but I think the last thing I want to say is that what Paul says here, he just says that, that this guy Epaphras, he was a beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful of minister of Christ, a faithful minister of Christ. And this is what I want to leave you with on evangelism. There is no objective level of success. There is no, this is what it looks like for everyone. What matters isn't that you achieve so many that's the gospel, you know, you, 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 somehow you're in charge of saving people. Your responsibility is to be faithful. So God is the only one who can save someone. He's the only one who can change someone's heart. The saving is on him. The big, heavy pressure lifting, the, you know, the big, heavy lifting, the pressure, the real intensity, eternity hanging in the balance, that is on God. You, you just need to be faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to what... He has put in front of you to do. Faithful to use the time. Faithful to use your money. Faithful to use your energy. Faithful to use your ambition. Faithful to use the gifts that he's given to you. Just be faithful. That's all that matters. 
You know, there's a parable of talents. One got one, two, and five. The one who had two, he got two, faithful. He wasn't asked to get five. He was just asked to be faithful. Now, the one with five was supposed to get five, not two, because he was given five. He was meant to get five. He was faithful. The one wasn't. But it wasn't because he didn't produce two or produce five. It's because he, he failed to do with what God had put in front of him to do. So he's just like, just takes the pressure completely off. I'm just supposed to do what I, who I am to be myself. I'm just to obey God. I'm just to, I'm just to hear what he has to say to me. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that before the foundations of the world, that God had predetermined, predecided good works for each of us to walk into. So every day there's someone to love. Every day there's someone to care for. Every day there's someone to pray for. Every day there's someone to share with. It's just amazing. It's an amazing life. My life is a total shock to me. Just one thing after another he puts in front of me to do. And then he gives me all of eternity to enjoy him and my friends and my family in Christ forever. We all been, we are all ordained ministers of the gospel. Those who have received the gospel have the privilege, have the privilege of being ministers of the gospel.